you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. Uh, possibly. So Any plans offsite. Do we know uh, that restaurant? Is that going to be dressed up as anything? I'm sure it's going to be dressed up as anything, something sci-fi. But, but I have lost. Yeah, yeah. Mary James is the actual name of it, which is funny. Yeah. Like, why do you even bother changing it when you actually <laughs> have a <laughs> comic? Should just one week. It's all redheads. Marvel should totally be the one to buy it out some year. But anyway. <laughs> oh, especially with um, with New Year vows, you know, it's like, yeah. No, red. there's an entire, uh, you know, there's going to be another FX thing. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, I pre-registered, so I, I don't know the details. And I, I, it's, you know, as you were saying, like you've got so much WorldCon stuff. Uh, it's tra- tracking emails and, and and keeping track because I've been traveling up and up and down the state for the last few days. DC Universe, the streaming service, is actually taking over that area. I think. Uh, is the one where uh, The Walking Dead has been in years past. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the the hotel there was like Staircase, and one year it was Scott Pilgrim. This year it's an interactive DC Universe experience uh, built around the shows. I'm talking, you know, the actual streaming service. So there is is something to survive in Swamp Thing Swamp. There's something to deal with with the Titans and something with, uh, I think, Doom Patrol was mentioned. So... You know that'll be kind of the offsite, and th- there will be things. There are where, parties. Where's the Ready Player One VR thing? I don't know yet. I've seen that header in my yeah. email list. Um, that sounds exciting. But you know, it's trying to find an actual slot. You know, to go as I'm trying to get interviews and so forth. Oh, and I just got an email to push one back. Um, oh yeah, that's even better. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, Anyway, uh, I get to sleep in. Uh, I think a little <laughs> bit on one, on one day because an interview's just been rescheduled. You know, that's the that's the crazy. Um, you know, there's the FX uh, installation, and I'll try to get into that. They they didn't offer you know, like a press preview of it, but they did say, "Hey, it's it's here." And, and you know, I just find new stuff. Uh, Leica is that how to pronounce it? Leica or Leica? The Leica, Leica the the dog the camera. Oh. No, like a no, the studio that made uh, Kubo and the Two Strings and Coraline, oh, 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 oh. and uh, is named after the dog that went that the Russians shot into orbit. Uh, I think it's Leica. I think it is. So okay. Leica uh, ha- is going to have a big interactive installation, and they're having a press party on Thursday night. So I'm going to go a little bit to that, and uh, they'll have props and figures from their from their films, and and I like what they do. So. That'll be cool. We'll just see what else happens. You know, because I'm still getting new announcements for stuff, and here it is Monday before Wednesday. So, hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting uh, on Monday, 
uh, July 16th, and this is our, I guess, Comic-Con preview episode. Manipulating everything, producing everything. And I say, because you're doing the time travel calculations, you're bending time and space, which is apropos a little bit as we talk about comics, movies, and TV, and getting ready for Comic-Con, because uh, I'm in Los Angeles, you're in San Jose, and later on in this podcast, we're interviewing someone in New York. We are from the Pacific to the Atlantic, and you are keeping track of it all. Ferociously working my slide rule. Rick Brett Snyder. <laughs> You're going to keep that joke. There's, okay. there's friction that's causing smoke in this room. And that's why take one didn't work. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> the smoke gummed up your works. So, like I said, we've got some comics news, movie news, TV news, and we are talking about comic-con 2018 this is the week and this is kind of a preview preview episode we think it'll probably be live on wednesday so by the time you're hearing it i will have journeyed further down into the madness of comic-con listen to it in line (laughs) love it yes and and actually a good reason why because uh you know there are many things that i get excited about at comic-con every year and i do feel like we you come back and you com- you make complaints and so forth because everybody does that. What do they call that? The smaller convention, the hiss and purr session. Yeah, you know, yeah, everybody the, has their yeah. thing, the, the, the things that they really like, things they didn't like. And I do think that Comic-Con takes it to heart and they try every year to make it better. And I think at, at the same time, there's been so much industry interest and it's not just the comics industry and it's not just the movie and TV, it's toys, it's all kinds of, in games and video games and so forth. And there are lots of things I think I got from the Nerdist that they, they're going to have Petco Park again. Don't quote me on this, but that you know, it'll be open to everybody. You don't have to have a badge. Oh, that's So, cool. I mean, they're trying to make, well, it is and it isn't because, I mean, already there's like 140,000 people yeah. with badges. On the yeah. other hand, I do think there are people that could like maybe only get a Saturday badge, but they came in Friday or vice versa. They got a Friday badge. But they'll still be around Saturday, and there's yeah. something for them to do. And yeah. I, I think that it, that is good. It, you know, it, it's a five day amusement park. I guess is the, the the best way to say it. And I still feel like when I first walked in there, probably a third of the size of what it is now. And I and I may be overestimating. In 2000, you know, I felt then, and I I still feel now. You're you're joining up with thousands of people that like many of the same things you do that may share some of the opinions you feel like you're 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 with your people for the most part and like I said, it's it's at least tripled in size since i first started attending and i was going late like i think i probably went the last two years before the studios really really took interest like the first year that i went the two superhero movies and that was it, it was two superhero movies it was the it was x-men had just come out uh-huh. uh brian singer was there promoting that and um and the specials J- the james gunn superhero parody wow. that he wrote and you know and uh directed by craig mazin uh who later wrote uh superhero movie the parody film uh, you know, that was a little thing that only got two, uh, it was only released to two theaters and one in New York and one in Los Angeles. And then went you know, essentially straight to straight to the video, but to realize now, I mean, here we're, <laughs> the big controversy is Marvel isn't going to show up, <laughs> you know, Marvel studios isn't because they want to keep track and keep, keep a lid on the two superhero movies they've got coming and, and they've got D 23. 
Well, yeah. next year. I mean, they're, they're keeping yeah. secrets. So we'll talk. We'll talk later about that. But I do want to say our, our top stories before we get to all the, those things is we have two interviews this week, uh, both related to Comic Con. I'm thrilled we got the got uh, this uh, this first one before Comic Con because when I got the email that this gentleman was available for interviews. I may overuse this phrase, you know, that like, Oh, I felt like a kid again, but literally this was, this is one of the, one of the guys, what's, what's that show that they call on Netflix, the toys that made us. Is that the documentary series? You ever watch that? I have not. Oh my gosh, Rick, you need to watch the toys that made us. Anyway, um, this man really, not all the toys that made me, but, most of the toys that made me were made by this guy, Marty Abrams, and I, it took me right back. He was the president of Mego, and Mego Toys were. It took me back to being seven years old, going into Mervyn's. This dates me. Uh, that was a department store back when department stores existed, yeah. and they weren't online. And not only was it, I mean, I think they went bankrupt uh, out of business like twenty years ago. And oh no, my daughter's nineteen, so um, fifteen years ago. And a lot of them are Kohl's, and a lot of them are Hobby Lobbies now. And back then, not only that, they had a toy department. Back when department stores really had toy departments, too, because you didn't yep. have Toys R Us in every city, and now you don't have that. I'm sorry to sadden myself. Uh, <laughs> so you went, you, you, now you, you go to Target. But, but they had four superhero action figures, Batman, Superman, Robin, and... Aquaman, and that started my lifelong love of Aquaman because that was the first action figure I had. And on the box, you they didn't have them available yet, but on the side there was a promise that there was going to be a Captain America and there was going to be a Tarzan figure. And they added Spider-Man and Shazam like two years later when the Filmation live-action series came on. Uh, they were added to that line. you know. So, so there were eight, but I, all I had was Aquaman, and that's all I needed was Aquaman who I admit, though, did not get wet well uh, for a figure that was supposed to be able to breathe underwater and swim. You really shouldn't have take Aquaman into the bathtub. Yeah, but, shrinkage. Yeah, a little bit. And uh, I'm talking about the costume. Uh, but uh, anyway, we got the chance today to talk to Marty Kaplan, who was the president of Mego back in the 70s. They say defined toys in the 70s and changed the face of action figures. And he's relaunching his company in 2018. The announcement is coming at Comic-Con. And so he was kind enough to take some time this afternoon from his office in New York to talk with us. And so, without further ado, uh, Marty Abrams. All right, we are so lucky to have with us today Marty Abrams, uh, who was... President, correct me if I get the billing wrong. You were president of Mego and are again, uh, which is relaunching officially at Comic Con 2018 in San Diego this week. And did I did I get all that right? Hundred percent. Okay, good. So the big question is, you know, Mego has been popular for so long, and and almost mythical it be in in being such a top toy line with. All these other companies copying the style. Why is this the year? How? I, I guess the real way of asking this question is, you know, what took so long to bring it back? Uh, what took so long was my inability to make peace with my past life. 
the uh, the reality check is that there are tens, if not hundreds, of companies who have made some sort of Migo product over the course of the last 35 years. And I did not uh, begrudge them for it. I thought it was a sort of a complimentary, you know, uh, in terms of what they were doing. Uh, they never did it exactly the way I would do it. But in some cases, I was very happy that they were doing it. But I knew that if I was ever going to go back and relaunch this stuff, it would have to be at mass, not on the collector's market. Because, you saw, as you said, there's so many companies who have done it, and they've sold 2,000 pieces of that and 6,000 pieces of, it, of this, uh, 9,000 pieces of something else. They, 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 they did not bring it across the board so the whole um, product can be sold where it could retail, retail at the right price. And what I mean by that, you know, the, the stuff that should be fourteen ninety five, nineteen ninety five, or $49.95 because they only made they made so few pieces or they were ninety nine ninety five. And I and I and I knew that was not what I wanted to do. Uh, I got the opportunity uh, in the last year to partner up with one of the great uh, companies in America, which is Target. And uh, they wanted to put it out of mass. And they gave us the opportunity to build the product. So not only are we competitive, but we may be a touch under the market uh, at retail for not only the collector to collect it, which is they can collect at any price point, obviously, but for then their kids then to go out and play with it. Or if, if it's not in the collector's area, for the, just the kids go out and enjoy, and enjoy the product line have a range of different products. They can pose it, they can play it, they can dress it, they can undress it ac across the board. And that is what really we want to be able to do. So the stuff that was $49.99 is now $14.99. And so they can, instead of buying one, they can buy three or four. And once they buy three or four, then they can start the collection. Yeah. So you actually kind of answered what... what sparked was like in you've come back to I mean we've just lost Toys R Us and as far as that mainstream but it sounds like if you've got Target lined up is it going to be available anyplace else besides Target no no that's not this year Target is exclusive to the product for the balance of, of this year <clears throat> and probably certain parts of the line in, in the spring of next next year uh, they uh, they've been they've been a great partner and uh, they understand uh clearly understand the business and they've done some outrageous things uh like bringing back dave ross which was off the wall idea that before uh artist that was on pbs back in the 90s um and so they they have they have a, a unique understanding of, of what the product should be what the mix should be what the retail should be how to present it in the stores so it's not just on a single peg you can't find it it's going to be in mass, so whether it be in end caps or it be in line, but be you know a whole range of a whole range of different products. They've been incredibly supportive. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. You talked about reconciling with the past. So of course, obviously, um, you know, I was a kid, one of those kids playing with those toys and buying those lines back in the '70s. So back then, did you have any idea uh, of what you were doing to change the toy landscape and the cultural impact you were having? Uh, on a scale of one to ten, probably zero. <laughs> we, we just we just understood that in that marketplace, uh, because I had kids at that age. I had kids three and five, and four and six, and five and seven. I mean, we had, and and all their friends were 
team. We understood that they had a play the attention span uh, of a gnat. Always something new and always fresh. And that's why what we did was so unique because usually in the same bodies, they were all interchangeable. Just by changing the head and changing the costume, we could have to figure out in 60 days. When Fozzie got hot, it, was, it exploded uh, in, in the happy days. And he was a tertiary character. He was not a main character. Right. We turned around and we, we, we sculpted that head basically from beginning to end in, in, in 30 days. We had the costumes already done, in, in, all the patterns done in eight of time, different types of costumes. And we were shipping it in 60 days. And shipping it in 60 days after, we, we have to pay advances to, to all, all the studios. But if you have, when you put the tooling on top of that, you're talking about product that takes anywhere from six to nine months to get to market. We could do it in 60 days. Well, you, 60 day. you did have one extra yes. thing on that Fonzie because he could raise his thumb. I yes, can't remember he, that. <laughs> he, was, he was thumbs up Fonzie. And thank you very much because what we did at that time, because we had that mechanism in another one of our, our toys, we could just drop it right in. And I said to my marketing guys and my, my sales guys, Let's raise it by. Let's raise the park by a bucket. That's how I think it was. Um, it cost us fifteen cents to manufacture the mechanism, and we had an opportunity to make some extra money. But thumbs up, Fonzie was one of my great, great little hits. We made a huge amount, a huge amount of money out, basically just because we could do the thumbs up mechanism. Yeah, you were an innovator, absolutely. Were there any licenses or lines? Because you just talked about the Happy Days, and I remember you had the Waltons, and there was the Wizard of Oz, and there were Knights, and there were so many things that were coming out. Were there any licenses or lines that you regret that Mako didn't get to do the first time around? Uh, you know, we, at that time, um, other than the $6 million man, <clears throat> um, that was probably the only one while we were doing Obviously, you know, there's a whole bunch of stories about Star Wars, which is separate to this conversation. But out of the $6 million, man, that was probably the only one that we felt bad that we didn't get. Because even in Charlie's Agents, which was a brand we did not get, because yeah. we did not get it, we wound up doing Farrah Fawcett. And by getting Farrah Fawcett, we did more business to that one one doll than they did at all of Charlie's Angels. So there, there was really nothing that we, we missed at that time. Okay. And so uh, you mentioned you had your kids, and so I, I'm I'm extrapolating that some of some of your ideas were coming from you know you were trying to play to what their what they and their friends would do, but uh, and you weren't just those eight inch action figures. But what was the line that you yourself were the biggest fan of? Uh, uh, you know, that that question has been asked half a dozen times in my life, well, maybe two thousand times. Oh, okay. Uh, there, 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 but there were two items that, for me, that I was totally immersed in, which I thought were were brands that could stand the test of time. One was Magnavir, which was a brand that I developed with Takara and uh, Pilot Pen. And I don't know if you remember it, but that we had Conductive Ink. Uh, Magnadoodle, I do remember that. Yeah, we had magnetic magnetic ink, and you could you drew it with a magnetic uh, a pen. And then when you went to erase it, you, you took the reverse magnet yeah. on the back. You, you went by it. Uh, that brand lasted probably 30-odd years. Uh, sold over uh, 
I think from over a hundred million pieces and then well in excess of a billion dollars worth of business. From when we went out of business, uh, CBS Toys had then picked it up. Uh, then from there, CBS Toys was sold uh, to another company, which was then bought by Mattel and Fisher Price had it. So over a course of 30 years, it was just a huge success. And it was very, 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 very innovative. Um, yeah. And it was very difficult to bring to the marketplace because we were competing with Etch-a-Sketch, and Etch-a-Sketch was a $3 cost, and that was an $11 cost. And so having that disparity in pricing was, was, was pretty much pretty tough to overcome, but we did it. And the other one, of course, uh, I guess was, was, was Micronauts. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Uh, because that, that, that brand was a brand that nobody wanted. The brand was out in the marketplace in Japan for three years. Everybody had passed on it. I, I ran into it totally by accident. Um, saw it on, 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 on someone's blue, on someone's shelf uh, in California and asked him what it was. He proceeded to tell me. He said, he showed me what it did. I said, this was the greatest toy I've ever seen in my entire life. He said, that's just Marty, because no one else wants it. I'm just showing it to everybody. I said, well, I'll, I'll, okay. I said, fine, I'll, I'll, how much do you want for it? He said, well, you could have $10,000. And so, I, I, you know, literally, I had a wire of money the next day. We had that with that brand. But that brand uh, wound up uh, doing probably for us in excess of $200 million over a five-year period uh, around the world, every place but Japan. And it was incredibly successful, you know, for us, and, and, and probably to this day, would have survived if it wasn't Star Wars, because Star Wars came right into that that area and, uh, yeah. and and beat up on us pretty well. But I think both Rick and I would agree with you. It was probably the greatest toy we'd ever seen. And yeah. <laughs> still, <time>. is. <laughs> still is, still is. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I don't know if you're not aware of this, but. I saw it to Hasbro at that line. Yeah. Uh, and Hasbro, and Hasbro was coming out with um, 26 half hours in 2019 in animation, and they're bringing out the entire toy line. And, you know, the PayPal the success of that line, they really, they're in the process of developing a feature film on it. Uh, so we're really excited about what, what they possibly do. Hasbro's got what we call the writing room. Uh, if you're familiar with it, let me uh, then I'll uh, just tell it to you for, for your, your listeners. If you're not familiar with it, then you can, you can pull it all together. But, in that aspect, uh, the writers' room consists of five brands: Microsoft being one of them, GI Joe, uh, Rom, uh, and Mask, and the fifth one is Visionaries. And yeah. Visionaries is a brand I also created. But that one I was created after me. I was created when I was with a company called Abrams Gentile Entertainment. We, we we created that in in, the, in that company. I refer to that part of my life as my wings years. You know, uh, my, my the first part of my life. It was my Beatles years. No matter how I could, I could never match that again. You know, it was one of those holy yeah. cow. Everything that was ever done, in, in, you know, in the counterculture, the subculture, the, the culture during the, during the, all the seventies and early eighties, we were very much a part of. And we certainly made all the all the, all the products. It didn't make a difference with Sonny and Cher or Farrah Fawcett or Diana Ross or Muhammad Ali or or the whole range of movie positions. Uh, I want to play the apes. Uh, Star Trek as well as all the superheroes. So you can't, all those brands today still exist. Star Trek still exists as a brand. Um, yeah. Obviously, Marvel Marvel exists as a huge, huge brand. It's a different art form, but it still exists. It didn't exist before we did it. Warner Brothers uh, with, with, with Batman and Superman still exists. Uh, you know, it didn't exist mm-hmm. before I did it, but, but it exists now. So those brands are trans 
transformed the culture and have gone from iteration to iteration to where they are today, which is pretty spectacular. Uh, but the brand, but the Mykonos, we we literally took from Takara, we Americanized it, we we made it much more Western, we we made it, we made we made it much more unique than what they were currently doing, and we we built that brand. So that brand and the Visionaries brand are two brands that we're very we're we're really proud of because we're, that was part of our own own creativity. Well, that could, creativity could not come to fruition if it wasn't for all the stuff that we licensed because that taught us all the things to do and not to do and building a product line. Yeah. So with, with Hasbro having that, a, that uh, there's not a chance that we'll see Mego Micronauts again, but we might see Hasbro is what you're saying. Well, you're definitely going to see Hasbro Micronauts. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's no question about that. I've got a wonderful relationship with them, so maybe we can go to them down the road when, if they're very successful and come off a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece in, in, in the Mego art form. Uh, maybe they will say yes, maybe they will say no. Uh, you know, I haven't, haven't thought about it, haven't brought it up to them. Well, who knows? You know, you, 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 as they say in James Bond, never say never. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> You're like touching on some of our favorite subjects. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I did, I did Moonwake, Moonwake with um, uh, the other player, the Saint, Roger Moore. Roger Moore. I mean, that, was, yeah. that, was a fun, that was a fun line to do. Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's focus on the now, and and that is, uh, I know that you'll be announcing some things, um, uh, you know, this week at Comic Con, and you probably don't want to tip your hand too much, but, um, you know, let's go, let's go. You've talked about innovations between then and now. Are there, you know, you're trying to keep the price point down. Are there advances in materials that uh, weren't available to you then, but are, you know, are going to be that you're very excited to be using in your toys? Well, we try to go back to the authenticity of the uh, of the original uh, the original Migos, so, mm-hmm. because the uniqueness of having that same eight inch body that you run from character to character allowed us to make a whole range of different characters. We're gonna, we're coming out in the first wave with thirty six different characters for the Migos when we launch. Um, some of them, by the way, we didn't do in the seventies. For example. I'll give you a little heads up. We're doing Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix is become the one of the greatest icon in music. I mean, he he is considered by far and away you know, the greatest guitar player of all time. Yeah. Uh, whether Jimmy Page or uh, uh, I Shut the Sheriff, whoever you know, even talks about it. So he, he, he we're, we're doing that. We're doing him as, as, as a character uh, within the framework of what we're doing because we we can't we, we we're, we're not privileged to get all the stuff that we do. In the seventies, those brands, some of those brands are tied up by some very big companies, and they clearly did not want to share with us uh, our position there. And I understand that. I mean, I, 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 from their point of view, they're one hundred percent right. But we want to turn around, and we want to turn around and bring the whole culture of the seventies and the eighties, and as this thing starts to evolve, nineties and two thousands. Uh, together, and, and, be, and not to be opportunistic, but to be to bring that stuff. To, uh, to the community, and not as a collectible, but as a mass. Because once you once you're doing collectibles, you can't get the right price points. You need the you need the, the quantities. So what we had to do is that we had to keep our costs down. So we had to be consistently using the same the same body, and we had to be able to be able to price it so it could 
be retailed at, 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 at the right price. And that's what we've we'll, we'll, we'll we'll attempted to do. And, and I, think we've, I think we've achieved it. Yeah, and I think... And, and I think you're, uh, you know, you're also tipping to one of the things we were we were thinking about. Point is, there really wasn't much diversity, as far as what you know. Uh, there weren't a lot of black characters. Women were usually off to the. To this there were there was a line of superheroines. Um, you know, are, is there a part of a mission statement for Migo to be more inclusive uh, for well, that? Uh, yeah, but, but, but but we were diverse. I mean, we did Muhammad Ali. We did Diana Ross. We, you know, we did the Black Panther. I mean, we we did what we did what was given to us to do in that in that time. Yeah. So when we talk about diversity, we, you know, we did Uhura from from Star Trek. What we what we what we, we did what was given to us at that time. We didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't have the, the you know the the, the range of you know, the last forty years have brought a whole range of different characters into play into the marketplace that you can turn around and adapt to. And, and so it's not that we're going to try for diversity. We were diverse then by the terms of that market, and we will continue yeah. to be going forward. Well, I think, we, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased at Jimi Hendrix because he was a science fiction and comic book fan, and I, I feel like he would totally have been thrilled <laughs> to be an Amigo action figure. So, uh, but, you know, that begs the question, with, what, with what's available for you to license and you want kids to play with this, I, you know, I, I've got to ask, or, you know, are, are kids, is there a playability to Jimi Hendrix that you think a kid today is going to pick up? Well, we're going to find out. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, no, I love yeah, it. And, I love it. Yeah. In, that, in that context, I mean, he is, um, <clears throat> he clearly... Uh, is the epitome of what, what that place what took place. And by the way, when, when you talk about playability in terms of music, we you know, we, we, we do we give you the flip side. The flip side is what was the playability of Kiss? You know, we, we we did Kiss, and, so, and, we, and, and, and so you know you had we had we did all of them. We did, we did Paul, we did Ace. So in in, the, in that context, there was an environment to play. And we think that the, we think that the music side is going to be big for us going forward. As well as the sports side, uh, you know, we, we we're taking step by step, and we're going to be careful what we're doing because the advances are such. But having said that, once we get, you know, the whole range of different musical characters, yeah, we're coming with Kiss in the first wave, by the way, and we're coming with Hendrix in the first wave, and so they could be create their own band, you know, in terms of mix and match across mm-hmm. the board. I mean, mm-hmm. Hendrix can play with anybody. Um, you know, Paul uh, uh, McCartney tells a story about when. Um, they uh, did uh, uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Literally, he, he, Jimmy heard it the first time, and, he, and the very next night he went public and he was, he was playing publicly. So, you know, they, we, there's no reason once we get Jimi Hendrix that we can't get the Beatles. And we can, there's no reason why the Jimi Hendrix today can, now he can be part of the Beatles. We couldn't. I, then, you know? I, I am thrilled with the thought of uh, giving kids... Beatles Mego figures that would be so so much fun because they're having another resurgence too and and we should mention since we think you know this podcast will probably be up Wednesday at preview night of Comic Con that your panel uh, you also have Joe Namath so you mentioned sports figures and I assume that with Joe Namath coming in to be part of the of the relaunch at Comic Con that means we're going to have a Joe Namath figure too right yeah and we're going to have the Joe Namath figure at Comic Con it was really strange because. He wasn't part of the first wave because Joe Namath was really the first license that I ever did. 
uh, we're about the same age. We're six months apart in age, and he's he's the king of New York, and I'm trying to turn around, figure out what I, what I want to do for the rest of my life. It's 1970. It's before it's before Action Jackson, and, and it's before um, before the Beagle, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. And he was the Super Bowl, and you know I'm in New York, and I I, I pull every trick in the book to get to meet him. I want to meet him and his agent, and he very good friends with him at the time. Uh, and we, we we brought out the Joe Namath action figure. And what happened was, if you, if you, uh, you may not remember this, but literally in preseason, the following season of the Super Bowl, he gets swept, and he busts out of his knee, and he's out for the season. And so we pick a brand that was that should have really been humongous from, from a launch and now he's gone and so we did not have the opportunity to really get behind the Joe Namath branding um, now we roll this figure out without, we're launching 50 years later it's 19 literally 1969 when this is all going on for the Super Bowl yeah. next year is 2019 it's the 50th anniversary of him winning the Super Bowl so I said hey let's why not? Let's go to Joe. Let's see who wants to do this. He said, absolutely. So it's, it's not, you know, it, we're relaunching now, and now we're relaunching him as well right into his, his greatest glory. So it's, it's his Beatle year for all intents and purposes, winning this Super Bowl in 69. Mm-hmm. So and that, that's, that's part of what, what we're doing now in the German. Yes, there are other sports figures as well. Great. Well, Marty, we thank you so much for taking the time. We're looking forward to what's coming from Migo and and uh, have a great Comic Con. Thanks for thanks for talking. Are you, are you, are you, are you going to be there? I am going to be there. Yeah. So, so, so well, I'll stop by. You stop by. If you come by, if you can, you come by for the for the panel. If you can't come by, come by to the booth because there's a booth there. Uh, and uh, just just say hello. If not, tell me where you are, and we can check in. I'd love to meet you. That would be great. I'd love to meet you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You take care. Bye bye. I think that was a great conversation. And uh, if I sounded uh, restrained, it's because Rick did ask me to back away from the mic. And I a little literally bit. cannot. Just a, just I, a tad. I literally cannot do that when I'm. <laughs> so I had to speak softly. Uh, <laughs> because I'm using headphones, and the mic is just a little thing dangling here. I'm like, I can't really control that. I can't move away from my microphone. So, anyway, uh, the. Other interview today is I didn't put this as an ad up top that uh, you know th- this last weekend saw the release through Amazon at least and probably in stores this week and available at Comic Con at the McFarland Publishing booth. Uh, I was Flesh Gordon, which is the memoir. Uh, wait, oh wait, I should actually say the subtitle, right? Okay, I was Flesh Gordon uh, fighting the sex ray. And other adventures of an accidental porn pioneer. So uh, it's not my title. That's why I keep forgetting uh, <laughs> what the subtitle is. And uh, it kind of came out this week. It's the memoirs of the actor who played in the first er- erotic adventure parody film. It was released in 1974, and and the story of getting that made and sparking uh, his career in Hollywood which he was kind enough to let me transcribe, edit, so forth, and co-write, as, as he said. So Jason Williams, uh, who was Flesh Gordon, I was not, uh, sat down with me this morning, and we discussed 
the book and some of the things that uh, didn't quite make it into the book and what the future might hold. So, live from the North Hollywood Diner, it's Jason Williams. Now, I'm sitting at the North Hollywood Diner with, uh, I was going to say co-author, but really, you know, it, it was your life, you let me transcribe oh, it. No, co-author is fair. <laughs> I, think, I think that's more than fair. Uh, Jason Williams, whose new book is out uh, this week, uh, I Was Flesh Gordon, Fighting the Sex Ray and Other Accidental Adve- uh, no, uh, other Adventures of an Accidental Born Pioneer. Correct. Yes. So, <laughs> I know that I kind of talked about it in the introduction a little bit, like from my perspective, why we started on this book, so people can read that because I put that up on Fanboy Planet, but what was your impetus to write this book? Uh, I, I, I guess I just wanted to. Well, I was prompted by you, and and, and <laughs> oh, it's my fault. Okay. No, it's your and, and maybe a couple of other people that you know. Hey, that's pretty interesting. That's funny. That's odd. That's fun. That's unusual, and and. Um, so I decided I wanted to share that and maybe uh, make some money off of it. I mean, everybody's mercenary, so I thought maybe we could sell some sell some books because it's fun and, and interesting and people would like it. And, and I'm in the entertainment business, and um, uh, you know that's what I do. So a book isn't too far from. So, so to recap a little bit here for people listening, that, that this was. Yeah, you grew up in Orange County, fairly conservative. Uh, I don't know if I'd say you were necessarily, but you know, you is in a fairly conservative area. Went to Catholic school, right? And then uh, got into acting in college. That's right. And you know what really changed that? Because we we kind of gloss over that a little bit about like you were kind of this jack of all trades. You you'd held so many jobs. Right. And what led you to acting in the first place? I I didn't. Well, I was good. I. I I didn't like doing homework, so in high school I was very good at uh, improv speaking classes. I, I actually they used to have uh, tournaments and stuff like that, and I used to do well in, in these uh, debate, these improv d- d- tournaments kind of thing, where they would give you a you go outside and they'd give you a piece of paper with uh, a rolling stone gathers no moss, and you had to come back in and give on that for three minutes. What does that mean? And you would have to just go with nothing except that and I did well with that and I liked it I, uh, so I liked that that I liked that and then um, I didn't like doing homework so when I got to college I still didn't like doing homework and um, acting there wasn't really any written homework it was and that's what I didn't like that's a, that's what I liked was not uh, uh, not doing the written homework I, and it was sort of all sort of and, and I liked it. It was again. It was sort of somewhat connected to the idea of uh, the speaking tournaments that I had done well in, and um, you know. And I've always been kind of a cut up. I was a class clown. I was always the live wire in class, and I liked that kind of thing, being making people laugh and having fun and having a good time, and, and uh, so I, I think that. Um, yeah, acting you, just came. You used a word, uh, and I just thought it was funny because when I had to proofread back, they changed this word to sock. 
because they didn't know the word. You, know, you described yourself in high school as a soch. A soch. Like from the outsiders, right? You know, like social, right? Yeah, but yeah, they, socialite, like a yeah. social. You would, you would hang out with everybody, this group, that. You know, I was friends with yeah. everybody. Yeah, so the, 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 the Mexicans, book. this, the, that, the, whatever. Was it? So if you're listening and you read this book, I, I spelled it S O C H E because I had to make sure that they understood that Jason Williams was not a sock. <laughs> oh, I see. I see, yeah, yeah. But anyway, you, and you were a college athlete because I remember we did a, a thing when you signed at Comic Con. Uh, the first time for the 40th anniversary of Flesh Gordon uh, that you had mentioned you had played uh, at a big uh, football game in San Diego. In San Diego at, uh, at uh, Jack uh, Kemp Stadium there, there was 50,000 people. It was San Diego State and us, uh, Long Beach, L.A. State, and uh, it was a Shriners game. So they have a Shriners Hospital game. Every year there, and the Shriners put it on, and they they really promote it and, and get everybody to show up. Um, uh, I mean, the, the two teams weren't nationally ranked or anything, but they did get fifty thousand people to show up. So that was kind of fun to be in front of fifty thousand people. Yeah, and so that, that's that's a big thing. It's like you had a shot at a tryout for the Dallas. Well, Cowboys. I had a chance to try out for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, uh, but really. Uh, and we're pushing my knowledge of sports no, to the limit, but you know that's <laughs> that. I mean, that's something. I mean, and 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 my last my last year of college football was got, got kind of derailed, and uh, you know, football was really kind of too violent for me, and and I was really sort of start beginning to understand that. I was smoking pot, quite a bit of pot. And, and, uh, and it was the and, early, and, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, but, and, yeah. but that was, you know, just, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, so I think football was it just sort of, for a lot of reasons, had became something that I wasn't that keen on anymore. And um, shortly after that, I got, uh, subsequently about the same time I had a decision, Richmond, I told you, my, my professor at college yeah. had got me an agent and Blah blah blah. They said, "Yeah, we think you can get work." And all of a sudden, now I'm, I'm going in a different direction than football. You know? Yeah, not, and you did a lot of small, uh, kind of well, walk-on roles in yeah. a lot of TV in the early '70s. Some TV, and you I know, wouldn't say a lot, but you, yeah, some you TV. Mentioned, mentioned uh, Room Two Twenty Two, which Manning is one of those. the Professor, Room Two Two Two, and and um, one other show. I can't remember what the hell it was. And if, well, then this football pilot that we did—that that was really the first thing that. Uh, it is some kind of a football pilot where they were looking for uh, football players uh, who could act, and, and uh, kind of like an early version of Friday Night Lights or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, so you're you're knocking around Hollywood, and there's an ad in the paper for a Buster Crab lookalike. Right. And my my college professor saw it. I, he he got variety, and he was up to reading the, the trades every day, and and I wasn't. But he calls me up and says, "Hey, hey, you know, Jason." He said. Uh, I just saw this thing. You're perfect for this. He said, "You got to go follow up on this." He said, "They're looking for a, a, a Flash Gordon lookalike, and it was you." Um, so I showed up, and um, it, it was me. <laughs> and we go into great detail in that. So I don't want to spoil that, but I will, you know, say the moment when you realized that it was again. This was for the time. An edgy adult film, as we've yeah. said many times, it's like yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. The average episode of Game of Thrones yeah. is more explicit uh, than 
than it. But yeah. now, it pure, and yeah, it wasn't Purian. Flesh Gordon was not Purian. Although I think they had some intention of it being Purian. No, there's nobody's going to watch Flesh Gordon and say, "Man, I'm I'm turned on." I that really got me going. But there was a moment, you know, when they had to tell you, like, I, I yeah, talk about it, like, the moment you know, was. Uh, uh, well, you need to get naked. We need to take pictures of you naked. <laughs> that, that's when. That's when it was. Was there a moment you said, "I think uh, I'll leave now"? <laughs> no, um, because you know when I went to see the casting guy, he said, "You know, you're going to have to get naked." And I said, "Oh, okay." And then, and um, so then I went to the office and, it, and they interviewed me and said, well, 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 "Okay, we need some naked shots of you." And. Uh, and I had been look at I was a jock, so I was wasn't you know yeah. squeamish about why you know I just didn't want anybody to try to grab me or anything like that because I wasn't gonna fight them you know I wasn't yeah. gonna right. go for any hanky panky bullshit, but there wasn't any. They just wanted some pictures of what I looked like naked, you know. So, yeah. um, and then, you know, as for the for what happened on the film, I guess you know, people can can read the book. We we talked about you know there is this history of you essentially you worked on. Academy Award-winning makeup artist Rick Baker's first film, you produced and starred, or co-produced and starred, in his second job, uh, Cop Killers, or Sweet, Mean, and Deadly, whichever way, you know, the original right. title was Sweet, Mean, and Deadly, um, and we were we were just having breakfast and talking about this, how you're... Uh, you're almost like the Forrest Gump of 70s Hollywood because you're telling me about all these people that have these huge, uh, you know, in, in in technical areas that you that got, got their start working with you. That's right. So, you know, the book is, I think the biggest, biggest pieces are talking about Flesh Gordon and then a, a quasi-follow-up you did, Alice in Wonderland, the aggregated version of that. But right. where we stop, you know, you were... Making movies, we we didn't even really talk about the, these films, Danger Zone, and uh, there's, there's like four or five in that in that yeah, series. Yeah, Danger Zone, four Danger Zones, and a Vampire at Midnight, and a Wild Malibu Weekend, and a, um, yeah, like you know, Vampire. On, yeah, I said Vampire. honestly, there's there's room for a sequel, but I will focus on va- of Vampire at Midnight. Because of a particular interest to uh, our listeners would be that that's a film you shot, I don't know how much, of took place at the Acker Mansion. You worked with Horace J. Ackerman, yeah. and you yeah, shot yeah. this horror movie in his Yeah, and in fact, I, I, we shot a scene with him in the movie. We actually had him in the movie. We went down and saw all the uh, props and stuff and... Metropolitus, uh, some something the Metropolitus, uh, Metropolis, yeah, Maria, Metropolis. Maria, he had that yeah. there. He had all kinds of uh, gizmos and and props from uh, various movies from the early twenties and thirties and forties and fifties. Really, this oh, yeah. uh, he was like a hoarder of stuff like that. And it was this little room, and we, but I, you know, we ended up cutting that scene out of the film. That, that's, that's more of a tragedy than you know. No, I mean, it, I understand, it, it, it I understand why you, you know. Like yeah, yeah pacing-wise, it was just kill, it just killed the story. It was We got there, and we you know we hung out for a few minutes of the movie there, and it wasn't advancing the plot, and we were just getting some information that we really didn't, wasn't pertinent, pertinent. It was, listen, I wish it was still in there, because I told you, it was a lot of cool stuff, the Metropolitan, we had that in there, and him was, he was in it, and yeah. and, the, and the whole deal, and it was fun, um, but it was uh, bye-bye, so. 
All right. Yeah. You know, it's like a, a, one of those things in a film. You know, when I was making my movies, one of the things that uh, that I insisted upon was that there never could be a, a dolly on my movie. No dollies, because what happens is to do a dolly shot takes several hours to set it up. Yeah. And then. What happens is it's usually time-consuming shot that the camera follows and blah, blah. So there's a time there's a time element involved. Now when you get into editing the thing, and, and it, it becomes in editing you're supposed to be fair and just pick out what's best, mm-hmm. the next best shot. Make this and well that doesn't work. So even we have it, but it doesn't really work. So we have to yeah. go on. But now when you spend three or four or five hours to get a shot, it's very difficult to to cast it off. And and because it has more weight because of the time element and, and that you devoted to it, it's very difficult to get rid of those dolly shots once you have them because every, the director wants to fight for them, and, every, yeah. and, and the producer kind of says, "Jesus, we spent all this time there," so it really uh, yeah. cumber, it make it it it, 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 it handcuffs the um, the editing. I think. And, and what kind of budget were you working with? You know, we be talking about these Danger Zone films, uh, anywhere from. Uh, Three hundred thousand to seven or eight hundred thousand. So you know, under a million. These were even for then. You know, these were kind of like the almost Roger Corman level. Yeah, yeah. Fast, in fact, I did a Roger Corman picture, Time Walker. That's right. That's, that's right. The, the last picture, last picture that New World made uh, was called Time Walker about. Uh, and, here, and here's our weird. This is once again how you become like you know, the Forrest Gump because. People who want to watch Time Walker now, it's under a different title, and it's an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's under a different title? Yeah, they called it something. I, I, I looked this up, and now I'm blanking. Oh, wow. Perhaps I should look in the book. Um, <laughs> I thought it was called Time Walker. Uh, I, it was originally called Mummy from King Tut's Tomb. Then we changed the title of Time, Time Walker. I love the title. Yeah, you know, and I, and I, I remember when that movie came out. I don't... I didn't see it but it was like I think that was about like my junior high and I would go down and see double features uh-huh, of science fiction uh-huh, uh-huh, or uh-huh, every weekend uh-huh, in, in, uh-huh. at a local theater so uh-huh. I, somehow I missed that one but I, I you know because I saw a whole bunch of uh-huh, uh-huh. a bunch of stuff um, so you know there's two things that we've talked about you know almost like sequel wise let, let me give one thing sequel wise is you have this really strong friendship with Paul Mazursky I did um, dear, know. dear, we had, I used to play poker at his house every Wednesday night for thirty years. Yeah. Every single Wednesday, unless he was, in, as long as he was in town, we would play poker. It was a, more laughs than 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 you can imagine. I mean, yeah. literally, it was a nonstop fun laugh. Make fun of the guy, a guy make a wrong call, and sure. you would just get on his ass. And, uh, and the real boys it. night. Yeah. Oh man, it was fun. And oh. he put you in one of his films, and, uh, which I have seen, uh, Down and Out and in Beverly, Beverly Hills. Hills. Correct. I played a cop who went to uh, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus was banging in the movie. He was banging. He was married to Bette Midler. Yes. And he was banging. Uh, Pena, some gal, uh, Michelle Pena, Michelle Pena, who played his maid, yeah. and and uh, Dreyfus was banging her on the side, and every time he would take, uh, he would take her into the back room and start to have sex with her. Uh, Dreyfus's dog would rat him out and go hit the, the yeah. security button on in the house, and the alarm would go off. Every so his dog was like 
being a crusader and keeping his yeah. rifles from uh, uh, having adult or sex with the with the maid. And so I would always, I would in the film, I would come over to his house. What the hell's going on, buddy? You were the consistent. I cop. was the cop who would keep coming. But at the end, they ended up. I only in the film. I only go there one time. Ah, okay. But okay. I went there in the script. I went there three or four times. It was okay. a running gag. Yeah. Now a, a question because I, I brought up that there's a, a graphic novel called Starlight from Mark Miller, who uh, which is about a Flash Gordon-esque hero whose days are behind him. But, you know he's and now you know your age. Yeah. And, and yeah. the the people from the planet come back. Nobody believes him that this was what he did. Uh huh. And he's back on Earth and he's had a family. His wife's died and. They, you know, they come back and they say, uh, the aliens come back and say, we need you. You've got to come now and he's a great hero. You saved us once. Will you save us again? Uh, I make that comparison in the introduction so that you look so much like the other. So I know that most of what you've been doing is you've been an entrepreneur, you've had different business ideas and you develop scripts. I mean, you right. and I met because you, sure. you emailed me out of the blue and said, I've gotten your name would you write uh, animation care a, film for kids? Yeah, and it had, uh, it had a good social theme, and uh, we want to clean up the ocean. We may we may someday see that Shore Patrol. That's correct. But, uh, <laughs> but would you go back to acting? Because I don't think uh, you correct me. It's been a couple of decades since you've been on camera. I would love. Listen, I would love to go back to acting. I have no interest in in auditioning for roles. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Because auditioning for roles is hell. I mean, unless you're unless you're used to doing it and used to the procedure and used to the emotional stress that you have, and not knowing and, and going into the room with people that you don't know and and not knowing what you what because it's so subjective. I I know the how subjective it is. I know it's just a shade of gray. So but not knowing whether they're going to like my shade of gray or not and and. Uh, because that's what it is. There's no nobody knows shit. Nobody knows anything, really. You know, why do movies get made that shouldn't be made, right? And people think that they should be, and they, they shouldn't be. But that's a, that's another story. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll tell that story someday. some other some someday. So, uh, once again, the book is. I you know I have a stack of them right next to right. me. I can just go uh, in this bag here. Russell, Russell, Russell. Oh, the hard yeah. copies. Isn't this nice? Uh, fun cover. I was Flesh Gordon, fighting the sex ray and other adventures of an accidental porn pioneer. Written by Jason Williams with Derek McCaw. Uh, my sister-in-law said, "We got a whiff." I was very happy. Uh, it is from McFarland uh, McFarland Books, and it will be available at Comic Con. It is available through Amazon, now, and, and right there now. are yeah, you can you can order it through Amazon, you can order it through Barnes and Noble. But hey, because it's the Fanboy Planet podcast and we're affiliated with Amazon, buy it through Amazon. If you can't find it at your local brick and mortar store, that's what we always say. Uh, and we're going to start, be starting to set up signings uh, right. at comic shops because I think that's the logical right. the logical crossover. So I we can't say now. Because we haven't confirmed the timing, but uh, for those who are in the northern, should contact Derek, and then he can uh, contact your local comic book store and have them contact Derek. Yeah, yep, yeah. We do know we'll be setting something up at Elusive Comics and Games in Santa Clara, of course, uh, and then we'll we'll see what happens out of Comic Con. So, uh, 
look forward to to uh, this listeners and pick up this book. It's a lot of fun. As I what was that last thing I said? It was like what does what what does Star Wars, Alice in Wonderland, Groucho and Marx, and Oingo Boingo, and Oingo Boingo have in common? You have to read the book to find oh, out. Yeah. I just realized I'm going to do another one, and I got to throw in Doc Savage because Doc that was because Doc that Savage, was May West. Talking oh, yeah. with you is every time we were going through a draft of this book, and I got to finish with that. Was that did we talk about Doc Savage in the book? Right? Yeah, we did because well, I met the, because, I met the guy who, who made him. Who, who right, right, right. Well, I've interviewed Ron Ron Ely. And no, George, Powell, George, George Powell. George Powell. I met, I met and, with him. And, you know, this is Doc Savage's, you know, this is huge Doc Savage fan. So yeah. this, what I think is funny is every time, I feel like every time I talk to you, there's a new thing that I go, crap, we should have put that in the book. And that was one at least I caught that you had been <laughs> Doc Savage. So I think we do need to write a story about, uh, a book about the poker games with, uh, with Mazursky. They were funny. Yeah, they so there's funny. something, there's something there. Anyway, thanks a lot, Jason, and uh, we'll be we'll be talking later. Yeah. All right. right. Bye bye. So some cool uh, Comic Con preview stuff, and let's talk about comics, which will include Comic Con preview stuff. Shall can we talk about comics, Rick? You're producing. Let's let's talk about comics. All right. So hey, Dynamite uh, Comics just like inundated uh, me today with with announcements. So I thought. They're all kind of they're worth talking about. They're interesting stuff. Mark Russell, who reimagined the Flintstones, and I hate using that phrase "reimagine." Like I almost want to turn away from anything that says "reimagine." And Mark Russell has made me reimagine my thoughts about the word "reimagine" because he reimagined the <laughs> Flintstones a couple of years ago, and that was an incredibly great book. Yeah. And did you catch up to the whole thing? I yeah. Read the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just. Just brilliant, and I wouldn't have applied that thought that that should would be work being applied to the Flintstones, becoming a social commentary on life today, and and more. I mean that under you know that undersells it to say oh yes it was just social commentary. It was it was satire, in the truest sense, but also there was so much heart to it, and you know it was clearly written by a man who loved the Flintstones, and an on- honesty n- against the original too. So I mean, yeah. And and then he tackled Snagglepuss. And again, there's a concept that should not have worked, but Snagglepuss is a gay playwright in the 1950s during HUAC, and yet the Snagglepuss Chronicles is brilliant. So there's another one. You know, that's Mark Russell. And now he's turning to the Lone Ranger. So Dynamite's going to relaunch. They've done two different takes on the Lone Ranger in the past few years, and they're coming back to this. And, and, and it's interesting because that's a character... I have a love for the Lone Ranger. I, I, I don't know why. I can't explain it, you know, and, and I can't even explain how I got involved. I think just when I was a kid and probably when you were a kid, too, you know, everybody knew the mask. Everybody knew Silver. Everybody knew Tonto mm-hmm. and, and the Silver Bullet. And I don't know the kids today know that in the same way. But you played the William Tell Overture, which it took me years to know that that was the William Tell Overture because, to me, that was the music from the Lone Ranger. You know, so it's a character that just... Just fits, and I vaguely remember. I don't know if you do the animated series, like in the sixties. I do like, not. I think I watched it once. It was a Saturday morning, and I have read articles on it, and they say like it was really poorly animated. But it was kind of like putting the Lone Ranger. It's actually doing what uh, David Avalone is doing from uh, with Zorro, kind of putting him into supernatural situations and almost like a wild, wild west. But with a with an acknowledgement that magic might have existed in that 
time as well. So, uh, like I said, I probably saw it once when I was four on a Saturday morning and went, this was weird and dark, but it was the Lone Ranger. And I had a big little book and I had some comics when I was a little kid. And so, you know, it's just a character that stuck with me. So I've liked that Dynamite keeps, keeps trying with it. And Mark Russell coming to it is interesting. You know, I just think there's some that this is a writer who has taught me to trust him. And uh, so it, it, that will be an interesting relaunch with an, with an artist named Bobby Q, who looks a lot like Frank Quietly from the cover. And I've run this on, on the site, on Fanboy Planet. And I still have one more thing to post from them because you're going to be excited. But I'm excited by this, that they're also relaunching James Bond. I, well, actually, I shouldn't say relaunching. I like that what Dynamite's been doing with their comics with James Bond is right. the series of miniseries. Yes. I like that there are separate adventures and they've gone to interesting separate writers. Greg Pak is taking a pass at James Bond. And I'm excited by that. That's, you know, he he's a heck of a you know, like they've had other great writers. I mean Warren Ellis had done had done some and uh James Robinson and now Greg Pack, I think it's going to be a great James Bond. Probably the thing, and I just say this just because I know it has an audience. I haven't picked up one of these books in a long time, but they're also relaunching Kiss with, I will get this writer's name, uh, he's been writing detective comics, and uh, that is, you can cut out my two-two-two-two-twos, right? You don't have to. Uh, Brian Edward Hill. You've been reading that. Uh, he's done some stuff on Detective and a book called Postal. Okay. And so, you know, I it, it, it does seem like from the description that they're going more, just a little bit more straightforward superhero than I remember the last time. But I realized the last time I remember reading a Kiss comic book, I think that was when Chaos Comics was doing it. Yeah. So it was really much more horror-oriented. It was and I definitely horror-oriented, yeah. Yeah, that they're trying to get step back in the superhero, like they kind of did in that Scooby-Doo team-up movie, which I still absolutely love. Um, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen the Scooby-Doo Kiss team-up, uh, you know, do yourself a favor, uh, rent that. Because if you love Kirby, that's, a, that's a, a cartoon that has Jack Kirby's influence bleeding from every, every set piece. So anyway... Uh, so that's you know three big things uh, coming out, relaunching in there throughout the summer and, and October, and, and they announce these before Comic Con because then people get excited in time for the panels. So uh, I think that that's cool, and I'm certainly going to be looking at the Lone Ranger and James Bond. I will I will look at Kiss. I don't know that I would pick that up, but I suspect that many of our listeners would and are are really into it, and so uh, it's out there as a public service. I'm sure they're good. I just can't read. Ev- no, you know, I'm sure they're no, good. No. I just can't read everything. Uh, as you, you and I were talking about Justice League, like when I said the thing about, you know, at the end of the Dark Side War, and you said, oh, I'm, I'm behind Justice League, and I'm like, that was two realities ago, Rick. <laughs> you know? Yep. And it's like realizing, oh, my gosh, how many years ago was that already? Um, probably not that long. It's just they've had two realities in three years. So uh, Legendary Comics, which... Uh, has come in, you know, they, they, their distribution hasn't been uh, as strong as some of the other guns. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they're one of, of the companies that you really have to know that you're looking for it in the Diamonds Previews catalog to make the your local retailer order this book so you can get your hands on it. 
Um, but they've got a strong stable of, of concepts and, and IP, including, of course, because they're linked to legendary movie uh, film, legendary films and legendary TV, which produced a little thing for Netflix that got Rick Brechneider's heart aflutter. Lost in space, right? You know, was that a mischaracterization? Was your heart not a flutter? I was, I was appreciative of it, and uh, I grew to love it by the end. Yeah. Well, I mean, but when they announced it, oh, they announced it. I was, I was excited. Yeah, but you, you never know what you. It's always like when they did the movie. It's always like, hey, we're going to shift it over this way, and you're not going to expect it. Go, yeah, but I was expecting you to shift it one way or the other. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they are going to do a four part. Uh, miniseries in, in for comics and uh so lost in space is coming to your story i mean uh a year ago two years ago american gothic press was doing adaptations of lost scripts from lost in space this isn't the first time that the that the actual tv concept has was come that to just comics. two years ago i think so but okay. i lost track yeah, because they because that was one that was spotty distribution too a little bit. They they do some very. good books, but you know that's that's the thing is I, I I was having this conversation off the record with with Jason Williams this morning about how you know comics are with there was the L A Times just did an did an article about how sales were down for comics nine percent down by nine percent, but they're still focusing on Marvel and DC and. You know, and then I've seen a lot of retailers post like, "No, we sell the books that people want to buy. Those are up." You know, that's the thing. When you look at a, a, if you're judging everything by the success of an entire line, and you're only judging by two lines, then you're not getting the big picture in in, in comics. And there are so many good small publishers like this, American Gothic, or this, the people that own Famous Monsters of Filmland as well. And they did a great uh, Famous Monsters. Anthology, Tales from the Acker Mansion, uh, mm-hmm. last year, but you know, there's no been no follow up on that, and, and you know, so it's just kind of, it's just because you know, there's so much out there again. So take a look if you're liking the Lost in Space series on Netflix. The same, you know, their creatives working very closely in tandem with the television series to do to do a comic book, and if it sells well, there'll be an ongoing comic book. And so, you know, that's that's great. But I will say one thing that Marvel's doing really well, and you wanted to call out before we got into what's in the bag, was Marvel True Believers. Yeah. You know, they're $1, and I can't believe, you know, I've been away from the shop for a couple of a couple of weeks. I, I just, life kept me away. And uh, I went in today to pick up some things for what's in the bag, but, so I missed most of the tr- True believer stuff, and a, and a few weeks ago on a what's in the bag, I said like the, the when the Captain Marvel the the first appearance of Carol Danvers. The Kel- it's up. actually titled Carol Danvers with the uh, subtitle. Right. Yeah, right. Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. So that it was a buck that you get this really great story for a buck, and then you just told me that the the, the round that they've done in the last two weeks, yeah, last two weeks, what was in in that is just. Like I can't believe a dollar for that Marvel for that event, uh, Fantastic Four annual number four. Well, it's the, five five books, and you've got from all from the original run, the original unbroken run of the Fantastic Four, which I can't remember how many it went up to, up into the multiple hundreds. Um, so you get five samples through the first two hundred, let's say issues. The first one is 
FF5, which is the uh, a Doctor Doom time travel story where mm-hmm. he, he tricks the, the Fantastic Four into uh, having to go back in time and steal Blackbeard's treasure because Doc Doom needs money. Um, but it's it's great it's great original. This is issue five. There's still I mean, and Kirby's art is still like finding its place, and you know it's just terrific, terrific stuff. The next one is is uh, is Fantastic Four forty eight, which is probably one of the best books ever from the Fantastic Four, which is the coming of Galactus, because you've got Galactus, the Watcher, the Silver Surfer, first appearances of all that stuff, um, just amazing. Then, totally unexpected, uh, annual number three was the wedding of Reed Richards and Sue Storm, which features like uh, most of the mar- four. Pardon? Pardon? I think it's annual number four. Uh, not according to Nisha. Okay. In this, I think it says, let's see. No, Fantastic Four annual oh, four three. three. Okay. Yeah. So it's, and it features most of the Marvel Universe at that time, even if they don't just show up in a panel, it's just amazing to flip through and uh, and pick up and read. And of course, it's it's a milestone. This is when Reed and Sue tied the knot. And then then you kind of jump a ways up to um, issue one twelve, but it's it is really an iconic thing versus the Hulk battle. Um, not the first time, but probably one of the more memorable times. Uh, because you have developed casts on both sides. And then finally, kind of a crazy one to throw in there is 175, uh, Galactus Hungers, which features the high evolutionary. And it's not obvious. You really have to read through this to catch up the fact that it's not happening on Earth. It's happening on Counter-Earth, which is where um, where we get uh, Adam Warlock from. And uh, the, the high evolutionary created this Earth out of sync with Earth in a counter counter orbit and uh galactus has not pledged not to eat that earth he pledged not to eat our earth but not that one so five bucks this is an amazing amazing uh anyway i can say uh for the record uh fantastic four annual number four is when the original human torch appeared to fight Uh, the fantastic four so i just looked it up i I pulled a rick i i clearly typed on on google (laughs) hey without looking it up that's also the um the first appearance of Modok, isn't it? No, not Modok. Uh, uh, he's uh, it's the multi. Uh, I can't remember now. Um, yeah, go on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, thank you. So they've got another uh, ten coming out, and I will vouch for almost all of these because I bought them all in the original version of the original What Ifs. Um, it's a mixture of What Ifs from the. 70s and the later revivals in the 80s. I don't think there's any 90s ones, but you know, some of these became cons. The fact that you know, you can't buy these for a buck at uh, it, at your local comic shop, and if you could, it's probably they really beat they aren't in the dollar boxes, <laughs> yeah, you know. And so, you're looking at uh, what if the Avengers had fought evil during the 1950s, which is you know, basically became the idea of Agents of Atlas. And then one that is absolutely, gee, we've just spent the last five years in continuity dealing with this. What if Jane Foster had found the Hammer of Thor? This was a what if back in 1977. You can pick this up for a buck. What if the alien costume had possessed Spider-Man? What if Spider-Man had rescued Gwen Stacy? And uh, a great John Byrne one. Uh, What if the Fantastic Four had not gained their powers? So basically they become just the challengers of the unknown. Exactly. 
Which, well, I mean, that was a Kirby concept, too, you know. No, so no, no, it's yeah. just kind of a John Byrne did a really fun passage with that. One of the best here, and I just, I just sort of say, if you only pick up one, and then Bendis did this, but, but the what if was so much more compact and tragic. What if Dr. Doom had become a hero, which basically spins off the idea, what if he listened to Reed Richards back in college about that one calibration being off? So yeah. he didn't he didn't get scarred in an explosion and he's still arrogant. He's still, uh, you know, having a difficult time being a hero and adjust and accepting, um, not exactly humility, but you know, there, there's a, there's a, a tragedy to, to that story. And it's one that I, I, I just read and reread and <laughs> you know, over and over as a kid and loved that book. So, uh, there's just some fantastic. And then like I said, there are later ones like what if Legion had killed Magneto and I guess if you're a fan of the Legion TV series, you know, there's an immediate tie in there. And just kind of a fun one. What if the Fantastic Four had different superpowers? Yeah. Uh, you know, there were the a lot about of... the Fantastic Four. One of my favorites was uh, what if Spider-Man had actually joined the Fantastic Four? That was what if number one. Yeah. Yes. That I remember that being like, that was one I had to track down because I missed it. Those were the days that I had to go to the drugstores. Yeah. And Seven Elevens to buy comics, so I missed that. And then when I, I went to a flea market, so I, I had a beat up copy of that finally when I when I found one. And uh, but uh, that's a, that's one I, I read to pieces, and that's no exaggeration. I think it pretty much uh-huh. fell apart because it, it was already not in great shape. And then I just read and reread that over and over. So loving that. So let's go to what's in the bag. I know it's been a couple of weeks, but we're going to try to be. I think up to date before we go into Comic Con because that's why I went to the store. Like I want to be sure that I know what's been out last week so that people are talking about it or right. already selling it for marked up. I'm ready. So what's okay. in the bag, Rick? My first is a number one, and there were two number ones this week. I'm not going to talk about the other one, which is Superman number one, but this is Spider Man number one, which is part of the Marvel Fresh Start stuff, and I actually I didn't like. The I usually avoid the variant covers, but this week I went for the um, for the Jim. Let's see, it was it uh, Jim Jim Chung cover, mm-hmm. which is mostly kind of a yellow uh, background with Spider-Man, just kind of in an ideal uh, iconic jump. What I realized later was this is such an iconic jump. It's pulled out of that poster that showed all of the characters that are going to be involved in Fresh Start. He, Spider-Man's in the center, and that's the Spider-Man, that's the drawing, the literal drawing that's pulled out of that poster is this cover. So, But it's a, it's a beautiful little cover. Um, I did the same thing with Superman, too, because they, they had a yellow cover, too. Or yellow covers. But yeah. th- this is... It is a fresh start for the, uh, for the character um, in that we're, we're back to a Parker that is... Uh, having trouble with roommates and there, there's a really crazy uh, st- part of the storyline about how one of his roommates is actually a supervillain. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to spoil who it is. Um, but, and, and Parker knows it. Uh, so he's kind of keeping tabs on him that way, but he's a horrible roommate. <laughs> um, you get Mary Jane through this and basically the whole cast reintroduced and where the roles are now. So this is a good jumping on point. For uh, if you've not been reading Spider-Man and feel like you want to read, probably one of the most iconic Marvel characters, if not uh, if not superheroes in the world. So um, it is I it is a five ninety nine book. 
But, I think uh, officially he is uh, third in terms of licensing. He may have surpassed. Okay. One and two are Superman and Batman. That's in terms of, of iconic. It doesn't mean sales of books. It's just, uh, yeah. you know, so it's kind of kind of interesting there. Um, so I'm going to go with, uh, mine is also number one, but it's really the last of many. Uh, I was going to skip this. It's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Tempest. Yeah. Number one. I was going to skip it because I, I, I think the last three graphic novels i bought one and just felt so alienated by it that i i couldn't you know i, I didn't go through the, through they the are, rest they are books that you really need to hunt the cliff notes down for <laughs> and, and that frustrates me uh, yeah. a little bit because i don't I, you know i barely have time to read this and, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so it's like uh having to do the research and, you know, it was fun. I guess I was a younger man. It was fun when the first two volumes came out. And the Black Dossier was hard. And this, uh, actually, I'm really glad I bought it. So I bought it because it had sold out at the distributor level. Uh, I saw it, and I hadn't realized that I kind of thought I had picked up that it was Alan Moore's Farewell to Comics. I didn't realize it was Kevin O'Neill's. So they're both going to be done with comics after this. And so I thought, well, I'll see what their swan song is, the final statement. And yes, there's, um, you know, there's some bitterness running through this, but I found this to be the most accessible League of Extraordinary Gentlemen since the first one. Oh, okay. And partially because it's both characters from that first team. You know, there's, there's some familiarity. But then the rest are those that you might not have, have realized had joined along in the in the narrative they present in such a way that it doesn't doesn't really matter and there's a really cool thing going on with with bond and mi6 uh and so it's uh yeah it was just fun and then he introduces a super team and i thought okay wait do i make i guess i really missed an issue and then in the back there's they just decided there's a backup explaining the super team. Oh yeah, we forgot to include these guys before. So now here's what it looked like if the British had their own Justice League in the '60s, and so it's cool. And they've also got like on the back an explanation for uh, for who these character uh, one character is. So I'm sure each issue will have will have that. And on the inside front cover, and as much as it's angry, um, I do think it's a good thing. Is they've got uh, there's. A thing called uh, a text piece called a league look and lament feature, cheated champions of your childhood, and it's the history of an artist who passed away a couple of years ago uh, from England. And I, I think from an American perspective, as we've talked about too, we you know we always get fo- focused on on these, you know, who are the American creators, and uh, these are people that had done incredible work for for UK comics. And so uh, it's the focus on Leo Baxendale and they give a good history and they, and they, and, and they pull no punches. And so I think, you know, it's, it's apropos in here. This is a book about imagination and the power of imagination while also acknowledging that often the people that helped sparked ours were treated like crap. And, yeah. you know, so that's why, again, as we go into, into Comic-Con, I remind people, it is time to give to the Hero Initiative. It is time to give to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund and try to keep you know, our imaginations alive and, and to give back to those who, who helped spark, you know, spark that. So next on your stack, Rick. Next on my stack is 
I, 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 I knew what this was about and I almost pick, didn't pick it up because of it, but it's Cosmic Ghost Rider, which oh, I missed it is the, <laughs> which is the, uh, the end result of a bunch of oddly enough Punisher storylines where, and I'm behind, I think this must be taking place in the, um, the latest, uh, in infinity, can't even think what it's called. Infinity crisis or no. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's not a crisis. It's, um, but, um, even without having read that, I was able to enjoy this book. Uh, because it's just, it is totally wacko because you have, um, an opening that is <laughs> oddly enough. It's like a parody of that, uh, doomed planet, Desperate scientists, you know, he's mm-hmm. got soldier, dead family, war on terror, death, hell, spirit of vengeance, madness, devourer. <laughs> and it's done the same way as, uh, as, uh, the Superman story is done in, um, oh, all stars Superman. Superman. Yeah. And then it's galactic power, Thanos, death, death. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like he dies twice. Um, you've got, you've got Frank Castle in hell. Uh, being uh, not really hell, but in Valhalla. And Odin, who's there, makes him a deal, and uh, he becomes the Ghost Rider. And I'm not going to spoil anything except for the fact that uh, we were talking before the podcast about uh, about Darkseid, and I mentioned he looked different, and you said, yeah, well, he was a baby for a while. <laughs> and that was where we were talking about Justice League. Um, and we have in this... In the same month, baby Thanos. So, um, and the last panel is somewhat reminiscent of Cable when he was running around with uh, Hope strapped to his chest, diving into danger. Uh, we've got the same kind of thing. This is this is just looking like it's going to be uh, bat something crazy. Is Donny Cates is writing, and Alan Burnett is the uh, is the artist along with. Uh, Antonio Fabella, so doing the art, um, very stylized, uh, kind of fun, um, and of course it's fine at three ninety nine. Well, that's good. That's good. Yes, <laughs> I'm just. I just suddenly had this horrible vision of like you know, Disney should capitalize on this and create the Thanos babies. You've had the Muppet babies. Yeah, so sure. Just go ahead. <laughs> Duck sure. tails. Thanos tails. Dun, dun, dun. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and then there's a snap, and it's all over. Um, yeah. Okay, so my next choice is going to be just a really bizarre a book from Image, a uh, five-issue miniseries. First issue is uh, from it's from uh, Rob Guillory, who of course was the artist on Chew, which was a great book. This is called Farmhand, and it's about genetic engineering, and there's horror and sci-fi and the weirdness, the magnificent weirdness of Rob Guillory's art. You know, if you loved Chew, uh, it's got. It looks like it has the same sensibility. I've been thumbing through some of it, and but it's only five issues instead of the sixty. I think that uh, John Lehman wrote for Chew. So it's uh, he's and, older now. He's tired. Uh, no, no, no. He's, it sounds like he's got the, he got the whole thing done before they released it, so ah, he good. couldn't be be late on this it's an interesting you know start for an idea and i i'm intrigued by this and so uh you know that uh it's going to be 
you know, on the back they have a calendar of exactly which time you need to go back to your comic shop to pick it up. And uh, so, you know, this came out this week, and uh, looking forward to the read. And it's good to see Guillory back. You know, really nice guy. I don't think we've ever actually interviewed him. I think Nate and I have talked to him a few times at Comic-Con when Nate used to go to Comic-Con. And um, I think it's uh, it's time. High time to have a conversation with Rob Guillory. So, go. Farmhand, nice, cool book. I'm, I'm being very eclectic this week. Good. My last book is another number one, and it's from... Uh, Writer David Avalone and mm-hmm. artist Dave Acosta. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And I bought the uh, Michael Linsner, um, of Linsner course you did. cover. Um, this is delightful. Uh, it is, uh, it, he has captured everything we love about Elvira. In fact, including the fact that not only, uh, not only is she attractive in a number of ways, but she's incredibly leggy and, uh, that features in here we've got we have um all the schlock of a low budget uh friday night television show and then the uh the movement into mysterious uh and uh and supernatural events and a an incredible splash page that uh that, that portents at the end to uh to lead us into areas we were not at all expecting to go unless you followed uh david on on facebook and then you may have heard amusing about how a certain character would speak certain lines so um uh issue number one uh looking forward to the whole run and i should mention i don't know how long it will last but if you're down at hollywood and highland uh that that big shopping mecca by the uh chinese theater uh the huge candy store sweet actually has and currently has an elvira room Oh. You buy Elvira T-shirts and clothing, and then some shaped candies and you know Elvira chocolate bars. They're doing a lot of interesting branding things there, but it's very horror oriented right now. It's sweet one side of the whole thing, and so there's a room dedicated to Elvira. And I thought, ooh, I I'll bet David knows about this. I won't be the umpteenth person to tell him, but maybe this week at Comic Con, if I see him, I will say, hey, did you know about that? But uh, you know, so you can get uh, you know those dresses, shirt. Not that we need dresses, but you know they're. Their, their dresses, T-shirts, all ties, all kinds of cool stuff. So she's definitely on the comeback. Uh, yeah. If she ever really went away, I don't know. So yeah. last on mine, I have not given enough attention to this publisher, Alterna Comics. Uh, they've got an anthology this week that I'm, uh, I'm just loving the title alone. An ongoing double-sized anthology called It Came Out on a Wednesday. And it's literally, that's the title. Sure. And it's, yeah, it's superhero stories, horror stories, sci-fi stories. But what makes this unique, it says double size. Let me see if it says how many pages this is. Uh, I don't know. This is at least 48. And it's only $1.99. And why we, we should have paid attention to, to Alterna is they were formerly a, a pretty much online-only company. And then they started publishing their books and they're on old-style newsprint, so you pick up an alternate book, and it feels like... Time travel. It does. It's like one from when you would go to Ronda Rexall, well, that was me, Ronda Rexall Drugs and, or 7-Eleven or wherever you got your comics on the spinner rack. And that's what they're doing. And that's how they're keeping their prices so low. And, you know, it's... Uh, so they've got a bunch of books that are only a buck. But uh, this is... 
you know, this again being double double size is two dollars. I'm like, really? That's all you do, you know? That's all you raise the price by? That's fantastic. So, uh, it's a lot of different creators, a lot of different stories, and and some are serialized. So I'm going to be looking forward to it. Came out on a Wednesday, probably on a Wednesday about a month from now. So uh, let's let's give it up for Alterna and trying to bring back that feeling. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking to see which stores have it. Yes, uh, Earth Two and Elusive, and uh, you know, go to your comic shop locator. And I don't know if these are going. To, you know, who has newsstands anymore? But you know, it it is going back in time, and so and I love putting my putting my money on anthologies because I always find something new and a new creator that I like. So I'm there looking you at go. Their, web, their website right now, they've got a ton of interesting looking titles too. So Yeah. No, they they're doing some really, really interesting stuff. So pick it up. Let's talk uh let's talk movies. Uh there's been some uh word in uh I'm gonna say I, we don't have as mentioned at Comic Con, there will not be a Marvel Studios panel to talk about Captain Marvel or Avengers for any of that. There will be, however, I think there's a, uh, the special effects team are going to talk about 10 years of, of putting this all together. And But that doesn't mean there's been no news. It just means, and I think we've said on the podcast before, that I'm all for this, that Marvel is playing their cards close to the vest, because keeping them... I just ruined that that that, that uh, metaphor. Uh, you know they're keeping their cards close to the vest because uh, I love the surprises. You know, um, I, I kind of like that. I don't know what's going to happen next, and, but they have. You know, we do know. It's mentioned that uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home will be happening. James Gunn tweeted out last week that he had finished the script for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, so that's been officially turned into Marvel. They start production soon. They announced Captain Marvel has officially wrapped principal production. Kevin Feige has made some comments about they may use the de-aging technology on uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Greg Clark. And uh, one of the things is, because Captain Marvel takes place in, you know, in the 90s, that they've never used it for a character with that huge a presence in the film. So this is going to be interesting to see. I mean, did you you've seen Ant Man and the Wasp? Yes. Uh, now it helps when you cast Michelle Pfeiffer, who really has only aged twenty years and forty, oh, and still she looks like a superhero. I mean, yeah, yeah. But when they showed her as Janet Van Dyne as a young mother saying yeah. goodbye to Hope, and I was like, yeah. no, that's exactly what she looked like. Yep. And oh, that's frightening. And then to see the young Michael Douglas, which we'd already seen some of, but this was like, this looks natural. It doesn't quite look like quite look like how michael douglas looked they when you know he was with, young they they with him he didn't have any lines where he was facing into the camera yeah it was always a side but with her it was like a close-up straight on yeah no, no no i mean it's it impressive so well technology done. but they did yeah. make him appear much you know i think he did have a line he did say uh he was sorry to hope when he came yeah, but back he wasn't, I mean, to he, tell her it wasn't it was a side thing so you you couldn't oh like, no 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 no, no, no. It was, uh, it was voiceover because he was saying the day that I had to tell you that she wasn't coming home. Oh, okay. right. It was all, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was narration. So, 
Um, but it's still, it, 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 it's amazing technology. And I felt that way watching Guardians of the Galaxy with Kurt Russell. There was a shot oh, yeah. in there where I thought, like, like, oh, they sent a camera back in time. In the car. Picture- <laughs> yes. That was helped out by the fact he's wearing sunglasses, though, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we, yeah. we all should. Anyway, uh, so uh, they did confirm this week that they are doing a Black Widow solo film, and they have hired a director. Uh, it's an Australian woman named Kate Shortland who has done two films, I think, previously. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, that they targeted, said they were they would have uh, a woman director. They're a little behind on that, because I think uh, DC clearly, you know, they, I mean, they almost did. Patty Jenkins was supposed to direct Thor The Dark World, and she walked away from that. And I, when you saw Thor The Dark World and, and how how unhappy many of the people that were involved in that movie were. Uh, you can understand why she walked away. But it's not bad. It's just, you know, it was one of those in the Marvel Universe that felt too linked into, I don't know, setting up other films instead of telling its own story. And boy, did they not use Malekith. I'll complain about that for the rest of my, of my days about the Marvel Universe. But anyway, so they are moving forward with the Black Widow solo film. And we don't know if it's going to be a prequel origin story or if it will be uh, just a new, you know, a, a new post phase four. Because the thing is, they're leaping around in time. Yeah. And, you know, with the films. And I'm okay with that. You know, somebody has said that, you know, and I realize we that Kevin Feige can't say anything officially about Fantastic Four or X-Men because it's not, it's still not a completed deal. It may be a done deal, but it's not completed. So they don't know when they're going to actually have the rights and what's actually going to be there. But uh, I don't know if you have the same feeling, but I felt that Ant-Man and the Wasp set up the possibility for the Fantastic Four coming, coming through. And they don't, and I would love to see and I'm going to say at every opportunity we have, Peyton Reed, who wrote, uh, who co-wrote the scripts for Ant-Man and then Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then uh, directed those films, had originally pitched a Fantastic Four bef- before the Tim Story versions uh, were there. Uh-huh. And his version was that they were in the 60s, and they were like, it was like the Beatles. Right. They right. were the popular, you know, and I want to see that. So I well, thought, do this. Oh. You do the same thing. You know, it started as a period piece, and then you know you can even do like a Captain America thing where they they come into they're out of time. I, well, I that's think, what I'm saying is if yeah. if any, if ever there was a there were characters who figured out how to go into the quantum realm before Hank Pym did. Yeah, it would be the Fantastic Four. And if you know, I show me someone you haven't. I, like I would love. They, they go to the quant- make the quantum realm where Anilis is for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm fine with that. Sure, yeah. fight Anilis because we've nobody's seen him on screen yet, and then get trapped. And then you know, yeah, they kind of, I don't care that they did that with Captain America. You know, whatever works, bring them to the four, four if you want, or if you're only going to get one Fantastic Four film out of it, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's interesting because Kevin Feige had to defend how they have increased how many movies a year they do. I think there's a real good opportunity there because remember when um, when Shield, uh, no, no, it was uh, it was uh, oh, what's her name, uh, the the Captain America's girlfriend who who founded Shield, um, Carter Sharon Carter. Carter Sharon Carter, when they brought no, I'm they, sorry, had, Peggy. they had they had Peggy, Peggy Carter. Carter, they had all the old technology that they were using uh, to fight whoever it was. 
and to use like Reed Richards cutting edge scientific advancements from the seventies or, you know, however far you took them back the sixties um, today would be, that would be um, I think guardians of the galaxy level funny. Yeah. 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 So we shall see. I, I forgot to write down, but you notice that entertainment weekly did have the first really good shot of Shazam. So uh, the official thing, the ice cream cone one. Uh, yes, uh, with the ice with his, with one of Billy's friends, you know, walking yeah. out of there. And so, you know, I really want that movie to be good. I want that movie to be so good. <laughs> I, I I hope Zachary Levi is such a great choice, and uh, I've I've seen some people complaining about the padding, but uh, for the but I go look, everybody does it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and wouldn't Billy Batson, if you're going to say, what is he grown up? You know. If he's been if he's grown up at a time where he's exposed to everybody in these overmuscled suits, and which by the way is not a new technique, obviously you know George. I just saw uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not in uh, L.A. in Hollywood has one of George Reeves' original body suits. You know the wow. padding for underneath just hanging there, like this is how Superman got to be so muscular. Hmm. But I was in I, I was in Stratford upon Avon, and they did that for Laurence Olivier when he did Macbeth in the fifties. They patted him to make him look like he was a big, strapping Scottish warrior. And so, like, you know, please, we've been doing this for, for decades. Yes. Get off it when they do it in the movies. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather that than, uh, than almost, you know, CGing it so that it's like, oh, that's impossible. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, let's let's uh, move to television because I'm sure that after Comic-Con, it's going to do. I had somehow lost track that Facebook Watch is going into original programming. Do you want to use Facebook as your streaming service, Rick? Not in the least. Yeah. So they've got a series launching in two Fridays called Sacred Lies, and it's produced by Bloomhouse, and Bloomhouse has done things like uh, Beast, the, uh, right, was that the, the um, no, I'm, I'm, am I saying the right one? Uh, the M. Night Shyamalan movie that was, no, the Beast was the villain. That's what it was called, Split. Um, oh yeah, sorry. yeah. yeah he, he called the villain called himself the Beast, and uh, they've I've seen several films. I think they did the the Conjuring movies as well. I could be wrong on, on that one, but they, they made a name in horror. So they've adapted a, a young adult book called The Sacred Lies of Minot Bly, which was itself based on a Grimm's fair, Grimm's Brothers fairy tale called The Handless Maiden. So um, kind of a sci-fi fantasy. Series. I don't know how long each episode is, but they're launching it on Facebook. And I, I, you know, obviously I use Facebook. We communicate via Facebook quite often, but I'm not sure I want to be on it for video, for for programming. But uh, I guess you know we may have no choice. This is a, ser- a show that again, not for me. Doesn't seem like it, but I might be intrigued to watch to see how one episode to see how the interface is because you know Yahoo had tried a few years ago and had done some really good programming that, but you couldn't watch it because the interface was so bad. I suspect Facebook has figured that one out before they, before they really get you involved. I mean, they certainly do a lot of news programming, but uh, so we shall see. Did you watch yesterday? The it's, they said like it was supposed to be a big preview for Dr. Who really just a teaser. It, it, it gave us not much more than a flavor of, 
oh, this is what the companions look like as the companions. I was so delighted about this because I just stumbled onto it. I didn't seek it out. Nobody told me what I was doing. I just em- ended up somehow on the page, and I was I am so so happy with and so excited about this. Oh, I love it. It still didn't tell me anything. No, no, know? but no. So you got two people of color: the uh, Taz and Cole and yeah. uh, the Mandeep Gill. Um, and then you have kind of a older middle-aged guy, Bradley Walsh. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think that, uh, I'm, I'm not, I was very happy when we had, uh, we had an older doctor and, uh, and because we have had too many young, pretty doctors for too long. Um, yeah. I'll say that her heresy, but I love this cast. I just think that this is a cast you can write stories around. Well, you know, I do want to say, uh, uh, speaking of young, pretty doctors and not as young, uh, you need to look up that David Tennant uh, actually did uh, perform as the doctor last weekend as well on Saturday at the O2, the the dome in oh, really? in, uh, in London, uh, yeah, the Millennium Dome. He um, <clears throat> yes, he performed in a it was the Muppets Live, and he performed in a pigs and sketch, <laughs> sketch as the doctor. And apparently his uh, his his wife posted a photograph of of him uh, as they say in Britain snogging Miss Piggy, nice. and so she said, "Be be wary, I have a puppet too." <laughs> <laughs> so Miss Piggy had better watch out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it was trying. They released the that uh, Jodie Whittaker uh, preview, the, like I guess a minute and a half uh, during the World Cup. So at halftime in the World Cup, and I thought. Well, honestly, you might not catch everybody in the United States, but the global audience, they're all watching. Oh yeah. <laughs> soccer. So, yeah, that was that was a smart I guess was last year when they announced her, wasn't that during the World No, World Cup no, no, no. in no. every year. It was yeah. it was during some sporting event though. That was in the UK. So it was like one where they knew everybody would be uh, would be um, you know, watching. So uh, I'm excited. They're going to have their panel. She's going to make her public debut at Comic Con this this week, and they've already announced like the BBC booth. Just sent me. I haven't had a chance to open up all the thirteenth doctor stuff I they'll have. You know. Oh yeah, that's it's, where you're going to spend your money. I know that. I always spend my money there. Yes, I I, I want to say publicly again. I am grateful for Mattel pre-orders because I already spent that money. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't. It's not going to be an unexpected thing there, but the BBC booth might get very expensive for me. So anyway, we'll have fun, and I, that's really all I want to talk about this week. We got a long episode, I know, because of two really good interviews and yeah. uh, time travel. So thanks for taking the time, Rick. And uh, Rick's gonna is it quote unquote? Is it laughable to say relax? Uh, you will not be in the same stressful situation, but you are, of course. I'm in an entirely it. different world of pain than <laughs> going to, going to Comic Con. No, no, it's a good pain. It's a good pain. Yeah, I am I, on the committee for WorldCon, which is coming up in San Jose yeah. in mid-August, and we're looking forward to that. Very exciting. Yeah, uh, nice to have it in the backyard. I'm gonna. I'm, but I'll be honest. I'll look forward to next year when I can just be a supporting member and not worry about can I attend? No, I I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep saying that, but there's, like you said, there are too many conventions. 
And and if you want to go to all these, that's that's great. But I just look weekend after weekend and going, I I, I need to I need to rest. So I'll be looking forward to going back to work. I'm actually off work uh, this week, and and so, but I'm ready to go. Give me a break from Comic Con. Put me in an office again. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, so cool. I'm glad we had this time. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play. You can find it on any of your favorite podcasters. Let us uh, let them know that you liked it. And if there's anything we talked about here that you cannot find at your local brick-and-mortar store, you can, of course, use the Amazon link. I would appreciate, honestly, the I Was Flesh Gordon. If you're interested in that book, please uh, purchase it through Amazon, through the, the link on the page. Uh, I did it. Fanboy it was painless. Planet. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> you even got it earlier than they said it would be. So, yeah. uh, you know, that which is that's an interesting <laughs> thing to talk about elsewhere. And, uh, of course, Think Geek as well. I'm actually, I'm going to try to go in and take a tour of, like, what Think Geek has in store for 2019, because they'll have a big booth at Comic-Con. So I've made an appointment to go in and get a tour of what, they, what they're promising us in the future. Like, again, I need to know. What more do you want me to spend my money on? Oh, that? Well, okay. You know, <laughs> so we do that. We are affiliated with ThinkGeek, so if you go through the ad there on the site, you can, of course, uh, we get a small remuneration. So thank you there. And if you would just like to help support Fanboy Planet and defray the cost of hosting a website and hosting a podcast, you can donate on PayPal at editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page, Fanboy Planet. You can tweet at us at Fanboy Planet. And uh, Instagram, some things that don't show up on the podcast or the website, just kind of sometimes interesting photos of, of nerd stuff on our Instagram page, Fanboy Planet. Is it a page? Our Instagram account, I guess, is the right thing to say. So pardon me on that. And uh, thank you for listening. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use your powers for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.